Judges 14. 14. We're going to attempt to do the whole chapter. We did the whole chapter last week of 13. It wasn't too bad. We won't go verse by verse, but, but I really think, at this, with last, as with last week's, that we, we kind of need to get this whole story to kind of understand how everything's unfold. I just couldn't find a good place to break it up into a couple of weeks, so we're just going to read through the whole thing, and we're just going to kind of talk about what's going on with Samson as we continue to set up the story uh, about Samson and ultimately how he's going to deliver the Israelites <coughs> from the Philistines. And that's what we saw last week, that the enemy now that the Israelites are up against are the Philistines. They're being oppressed by the Philistines for 40 years, it said last week, that they were under the oppression of the Philistines. And as God has done, has been the pattern through the whole book, He has raised up yet another judge for Israel. And uh, as we are going to see tonight, Samson... Uh, has, I guess if we were to put it nicely, he has what appears to be some flaws. Now, when we went through Jephthah a few weeks ago, we saw some verses and looked at some verses that maybe we could kind of make an argument both ways. Maybe Jephthah was a good guy or maybe he wasn't a good guy. But as I read through these verses of Samson, boy, it just seems to me that Samson just wasn't really a good guy. He just didn't really do what he was supposed to do. He just, even though he was a, a, a man that was set aside uh, by his parents at birth to be a Nazarite, we talked last week about being a Nazarite, that was a vow that the Israelites could take, uh, and they, they couldn't touch a dead body, that was part of the vow, they couldn't cut their hair, uh, and they couldn't drink any kind of wine. Those were the three requirements to be a Nazarite. And so, Samson's parents set him aside from birth to be a Nazarite. This angel had appeared to him, and even though his mom wasn't able to conceive, uh, she, uh, she eventually was able to conceive uh, through this miracle. I believe we can call it a miracle. And Samson was born. And so he was uh, raised up and brought up to be this next judge of Israel. Uh, and even though he was set aside to be a Nazarite uh, for his whole life, uh, he, didn't, he didn't really carry out that vow, it doesn't appear at least, uh, in the way he should have. And so, uh, we're going to talk more about his story tonight. Now, last week, we just saw up until the time that he was born. Uh, and then there's a big skip from the time that he was born into what we see tonight. Now, we know that by the time these verses that we read tonight occur, he had to have been an adult. Now, how old? I don't know. That he was of marrying age, so it's likely that he was at least an older teenager, maybe in his 20s, possibly even older, but he was at least old enough to be of a marrying age. And so we don't have anything of, of Samson's life from his birth until this point. Uh, perhaps in those years in between, maybe he was a better guy. Maybe he was a more godly guy. Maybe he kind of uh, took a downward turn here as he got to be an adult. Maybe not. Maybe these things that we see of Samson tonight uh, were just more of the same of what he had lived his whole life like. We just don't know. We don't know what the, what the early years of his life were like because we just don't have that detail. But tonight we take up where Samson is about to uh, seek out a wife, and it is going to lead to all kinds of trouble. So let's pray, then we'll read through the chapter. Father God, we come to you tonight, and I thank you for these words, and I pray that you help us to get something from them as we see this story of Samson unfold. Help us to see things in there, dear Lord, that, that may apply to us, some, some things that maybe the Holy Spirit will, will connect to our life, some things that we hear tonight as we read and as we study. And I pray, God, that you just would hide me behind the cross, help me to, to say what you want to be said tonight, and help our ears and our hearts to be able to hear your word. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. All right, Judges 14, verse 1. 
Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and his mother, I've seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among your relatives or among any of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me, because I want her. Now his father and mother did not know this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines at that time. The Philistines were ruling over Israel. Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Suddenly a young lion came roaring at him. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, as he might have torn a young goat. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went and spoke to the woman, because Samson wanted her. After some time, when he returned to get her, he left the road to see the lion's carcass, and there was a swarm of bees with honey in the carcass. He scooped some honey into his hands and ate it as he went along. When he returned to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they ate it, but he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey from the lion's carcass. His father went to visit the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, as young men were accustomed to do. When the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 men to accompany him. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can explain it to me during the seven days of the feast and figure it out, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't explain it to me, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they replied. Let's hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat. And out of the strong came something sweet. After three days, they were unable to explain the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Persuade your husband to explain the riddle to us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. But did you, did you invite us here to rob us? So Samson's wife came to him, weeping, and said, You hate me and don't love me. You told my people the riddle, but haven't explained it to me. Look, he said, I haven't explained it to my father or mother, so why should I explain it to you? She wept the whole seven days of the feast, and at last, on the seventh day, he explained it to her because she had nagged him so much. Then she explained it to her people. On the seventh day before sunset, the men of the city said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? So he said to them, If you hadn't plowed... My, with my young cow, you wouldn't know my riddle. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. He stripped them and gave their clothes to those who, who had explained the riddle. In a rage, Samson returned to his father's house, and his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. So here we kind of begin to see this story of Samson unfold. And we get a lot of information here to kind of try to cipher through tonight. And we'll try not to take too long. If we run too long, we'll maybe spill some of it over into next week. So Samson goes down to Timnah, which is a Philistine city. And upon going there, he sees this Philistine woman that he has to have. Now this is the first problem. This is the problem that God had told him about 
when they went into this land, that they weren't supposed to intermarry with the other people. Uh, it says here, the uncircumcised Philistines, that is, they are not God's people. They don't have the sign of the covenant. Uh, they are Israel's enemies. They worship false gods, which is why God told them, don't intermarry with these people. Obviously, they haven't gotten the picture. We're 14 chapters into uh, Judges, and they continue to make the same mistakes. Here we see the same thing happening. Now, the Philistines, if you remember from last week on the map, were just to the south of the, of the, of the land that was allotted to the tribe of Dan, which is where Samson came from. So they were their next-door neighbors. So it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to see some Philistines being right there next to each other. And Samson saw this Philistine girl, and he had to have her as a wife. Now, he tells his parents, he says, Look, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah, now, get her for me as a wife. Now, we may could read into this, maybe rightly so or maybe not, but some would say that Samson uh, may appear to be spoiled in this, that maybe he's gotten his way, that this is the kind of life he lives. He sees something he wants and he just tells his parents, oh, go get that for me, and they go get it. Now, that may be the case. That may be the reason why it says that, that phrase there, that language there, that response he had, but it may not be. That may be reading a little too much into it. We really don't know. It could just be that with the culture the way it was and arranged marriages being a thing, that that's the way that marriages were done. You saw somebody you wanted to marry, you told your parents, hey, that's the one I want to marry. And the parents would get together and they would work out a deal and they would set it up that a marriage could take place. And maybe that's why he said that response. Maybe he wasn't saying that response as a spoiled young man, although it's possible. Uh, perhaps he was just saying that because that's the way marriages were done. He saw the woman he wanted to be his wife and he told his parents, go get her. Now his parents proceeded to try to talk him out of it. Look, why can't you find a, one of our girls from one of our tribes? Why can't you find one of your relatives, one of God's people? And he said, nope, this is the woman that I want. Now, his parents at least had a little wisdom there. They at least tried to point him in the right direction and tried to talk him out of marrying this Philistine woman, but they were unable to do so. And it says in verse 4, it says, Now his father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, I don't know if Samson knew that this was of the Lord or not. I suppose it's possible that the Lord could have revealed to Samson, this is the woman that you need to marry. That could be the case, and that may seem a little odd, but sometimes God does do odd things like that. Take, for instance, the book of Hosea. Now, God told Hosea to go and marry a promiscuous woman, and Hosea did just that. And his wife cheated on him, and they had children, and God told him to name his children all these crazy names. And then he said, after your wife's cheated on you, now I want you to go back and take her back, even though she's been promiscuous. Now that seems like an odd thing for God to tell one of his people to do, to marry a promiscuous woman. But in the case of Hosea, he was trying to make a point. He was trying to, to show them and use that as symbolism to say, Israel, this is what you're like. You are mine. And Everything was good. I took care of you. And yet you still cheated on me with these other gods. But even though you cheated on me, I'm going to take you back. Now, that was the symbolism in Hosea. Now, it may be that God had revealed the same thing to Samson. Now, Samson doesn't appear, at least to me, to be a, a terribly godly guy here. But maybe it had been revealed to Samson that this was to be his wife, or maybe not. Uh, his parents didn't realize that this was of the Lord. And Samson may not have realized it either. It indeed was part of God's plan that Samson was to marry this woman because God was seeking an occasion, it said, to, to, to be able to, to uh, <clears throat> deliver his people from the Philistines. 
and this was going to be the occasion. As the story unfolds, as we see in the text, there's going to be tension that's going to be brought between Samson and the Philistine people. So it's possible that Samson knew that this was God's plan, but it's also possible that he didn't know. But regardless of whether he and his parents knew that this is the plan that God had set into place, this is what the plan was. God was seeking an occasion to bring Samson against the Philistines to deliver his people. So we see here that as the story unfolds, that Samson, as he's going on his way one day, in between this time as they're getting all the, the wedding and stuff set up, as he's walking down the road, this lion comes out and attacks him. And it says that the Spirit of Lord, the Lord comes on Samson and he is able to rip this lion apart. Now, he's a pretty strong man, as we're going to see through these uh, passages over the next week or two. Samson was a pretty strong man. The fact that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him is also significant because we see that phrase repeated a few times as we study about Samson. And so his strength uh, came from the Lord. It was the Lord that was giving him his strength. And so Samson kills this lion, and he kind of leaves him there on the side of the road. Now, when he's walking back later, as he's walking by the same road, he looks over there, it said, after some time, and he sees the carcass of this lion, and there's bees that are producing honey inside the carcass of this lion. Now, I don't know how much time has passed since this event took place, because it just says, uh, after some time, after a period of time. Now, it could have been a long time, I suppose, uh, to give the lion time for, I guess, for it to rot away and for the bees to want to build in there. Uh, some have suggested uh, that the lion, uh, there was some kind of supernatural thing where the lion decayed really, really quickly and there weren't any flies or maggots on it like you would see for a dead animal, but the bees were there and that that's symbolic that even something decaying, something sweet can come out of it. Now, that's a good possibility. I don't know that that's uh, the meaning of the story or not, but that's what some have, have suggested and that may be true. And it is true even if that was the original meaning of the story or not. God can bring something sweet from something that is decaying. That would apply to us because we as sinful people, we're, we're kind of dirty, nasty people, but God can still, uh, through Jesus Christ and forgiveness of our sins, make us into something sweet for him. So that may or may not have been the original intent of the, of the writing, but it's still, a, it's still a true biblical teaching nonetheless. Now this brings up another question. Because the Nazarite vow was that uh, you weren't supposed to touch a dead body. But was that just a human body, or did that also apply to animal bodies? Now, what we're going to see from Samson is it seems pretty clear, to me at least, that he touched both dead human bodies and dead animal bodies here. He touched the carcass. Now, regardless of his Nazarite vow, in Leviticus, I believe, chapter 11, I'm not sure, don't hold me to that, I think it's chapter 11, uh, it talks about that the Israelites are not supposed to touch a dead carcass of an animal. So regardless of him being a Nazarite, just being an Israelite, he had no business touching the carcass of an animal because it would make him unclean for the rest of the day. But yet he saw the honey, and he goes up there, and he reaches in there, and he gets some honey out in his hand. Now, the first thing I think of when I read that is that would have made his hand really sticky. Here he is going down the road. It says he's eating honey out of his hand. I'm thinking, his hand has got to be as sticky as it can be. And then he brings some back to his parents. Now, he doesn't tell his parents where he got it from. He doesn't tell them about the incident with the lion. Now, I don't know if there's significance to that or not. The Bible really doesn't tell us. It just says he kept that secret. Now, 
that he kept it secret that he killed the lion. I don't know if there's significance. That he kept it secret that the honey came from the lion. Well, that may be a reason why he kept that secret because he knew he wasn't supposed to be eating it. He knew he wasn't supposed to be touching the dead carcass as an Israelite. And therefore, by not telling his parents, not only was he unclean, but he made them unclean as well by scooping that honey out and giving some to them. So this kind of seems like a, an odd part of the story, really. And maybe there's some deeper significance to it than what we've talked about, uh, or maybe not. Maybe this is just part of the story that's interwoven with the rest of the story to set up the key main thing that's going to be at the end of the story. So what we've kind of seen interwoven in the first part of this chapter is this. Samson wants a wife who's a Philistine. Then we see this event where he kills this lion, he takes the honey from it. And here at the end of the book, or excuse me, the end of the chapter, we are going to see these two things kind of come together and play out. And that occasion that the Lord was looking for against the Philistines, well, we're going to see that begin to kind of take shape. And so everything is being prepared. Uh, as we see in verse 10, it says, His father went to visit the woman, and Samson prepared a feast as young men were accustomed to do. So this feast was being prepared, this seven-day-long feast that was going to lead up to the wedding. Now, it's been suggested, and, and maybe rightly so, that this feast would have been something like a bachelor party, like a big, long, seven-day bachelor party, a uh, big feast, everything's going on, everybody's having a good time. Perhaps even wine would be involved there. Uh, now, it doesn't say that in the text, but if that indeed was the case, that would be another mark against Samson. Now, that's just, uh, that's just thinking out loud there. We can't read too much into it, but it's a possibility that this feast would have involved wine. And if Samson's already touched the dead body, uh, well, obviously he don't care too much about following what the Israelites are supposed to do. So it's a possibility that he did drink some wine at this feast, uh, something at least to consider. They also had 30 Philistines that were sent to accompany him. So it doesn't seem as though these were people he knew. They were just guys that were hanging out with him uh, throughout this process. Now, the scene has been set because the marriage feast has taken place. Samson has killed this lion. He's eaten this honey. And now he's going to present this riddle to the Philistines. And so he comes up with the riddle that really, I think, would be quite difficult to figure out. I don't know that I would have ever figured out this riddle based on what he said. But the riddle comes from the event that happened when he killed the lion. And so it seems as though God put that event into motion so that this story could come out, so that this riddle could come out uh, to bring this tension between Samson and the Philistines. And so he makes this deal with him. He said, all right, I got a riddle. And if, and if you can get the riddle, then, then I'm going to give you 30, 30 garments of clothes, essentially, 30 suits of clothes. But if you can't get it, then you got to give me 30 suits of clothes. So he sets, out the, he sets out the rules there and he says, all right, do you want to hear it? And they said, tell us your riddle. Let's hear it. All right. So they accepted it. They accepted the challenge. They accepted the riddle. And Samson gives them the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat. And out of the strong came something sweet. Now, it kind of makes sense because we know the story and we've read it. But if we didn't know the story and didn't know anything about the lion or the honey, it's unlikely that we would ever get that. Even if we thought about it for the rest of our life, we might not would ever guess the answer that he's looking for there. And that appears to be the case with the Philistines. They cannot figure it out. They have racked their brain, they have racked their brain, and they can't figure it out. And they go to the wife-to-be, and they said, Look, you brought, this, you brought this, this, this man here. You brought him here to take advantage of us, to cheat us. We know what you're up to. 
And so we're going to burn you and your father, your whole family's house down. Now they were taking this serious. It's a serious riddle. I had never been that serious about a riddle in my life. I love a good riddle, and man, I just, I just bang my head sometimes trying to figure it out. And finally, I just asked the person, you know, can you tell me what it is? I can't figure it out. But never once have I said, if you don't tell me this, I'm going to burn your house down. But that shows you that this was a serious situation here. This was not just a simple riddle. There was more to this. There was tension already there between the Israelites and the Philistine. And so the fuel is being fired. The Lord is, is getting all this stuff set up so that he will, as stated at the beginning, have an occasion against the Philistines. He's setting up the battle here. Now, they cannot figure it out. They go to the wife-to-be and they say, look, you got to tell us what this is. She says, all right, I'll figure it out. So she begins to nag and nag and nag him. Tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. Well, he won't tell her what it is. He says, I ain't even told my parents what it is. Why would I tell you what it is? And she keeps on, and she keeps on, and she keeps And on the last day, the last day that they could possibly figure out the riddle, Samson had told his wife, this about sundown, time is just about up, and finally he tells her the answer to the riddle. So she runs back, and she tells the Philistines the answer to the riddle, and they come to him, and boy, they are, they are ready to tell him because they have figured it out. And so they tell him, <clears throat> what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Now, he was probably pretty surprised that they had been able to figure that out, but he knows instantly how they were able to figure it out. He knows that it was his wife that had revealed the secret to him. So he's pretty upset about this, and he even tells them that. He said, if you hadn't plowed with my young cow or with my heifer, and that's, that's kind of an interesting phrase, you wouldn't have known my riddle. So they had used her to, to kind of plow in and, and, and break him down, that nagging she did, finally got him to say, all right, just be quiet. I'll tell you what it is. It's, a, it's, a, it's honey in the line. There, be, are you happy? Be quiet. He finally told her, and he knew that it was her that had revealed it to him. He knew they were not going to get this riddle. There was no way they were going to figure out this riddle that he had put before him. And so he calls him out, and he says, look, I know how you got the answer. But he had to pay up. He had to pay up on what was the reward for getting the riddle. And so he did. Here we see this phrase again in verse 19. The Spirit of the Lord took control of him, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men. So... I don't know if he was just trying to kind of be smart with his reward. He didn't give him any of his clothes. Instead, he goes to a Philistine city, Ashkelon, a pretty big city, and he kills 30 Philistines, and that's where he gets the 30 pairs of clothes. And so he kills their own people, and he comes back, and maybe that's the way him saying, all right, you're going to cheat me. Well, you're going to pay the price for it. So now we see where that tension is really starting to build. We see how that relationship is getting real bad real fast. First, here comes this Israelite in here to get this Philistine woman. Then he kind of gives them this really hard riddle, trying to take advantage of them, it appears. And they don't like that, so they retaliate. He doesn't like that, so he retaliates. Not so much different from our situations where people may kind of poke and prod us, and we poke and prod them. And pretty soon you get a situation that escalates really bad really fast. And that's what has taken place here. Now Samson has taken it even further. And the Spirit of the Lord has come upon him again. This strength that we see Samson have throughout the story comes upon him, and he's able to kill 30 men. He takes their clothes. He goes back and he gives them to the Philistine. <clears throat> All right, it says, uh, kind of in the middle of verse 19 toward the end, it says, In a rage, Samson returned to his father's house, and his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. 
Now that seems kind of odd, but I guess at this point, maybe the tensions were so high that the marriage was put on hold. Because instead of Samson saying, all right, the seven days is up, the feast is up, let's go ahead and get married. Uh, For whatever reason, they didn't follow through with the marriage at this point. He went back to his father's house, and one of the ones who was accompanying Samson, his wife-to-be, ended up with that person. And now the stage is set for us as we go on in the story of Samson. Now we see where the tension is going to come from. Now, there may be a lot for us to consider as we read this story. There's a lot for us to think about. One, I guess we should think about, are we making wise decisions or are we making foolish decisions? Now, Samson's decision to marry a Philistine was clearly a foolish decision. He obviously didn't really care about listening to what the Lord had said. He touched the carcass of the dead animal. That was a no-no, in particular as an Israelite, and maybe even so as a Nazarite, if that applied to both animal and human dead bodies. He didn't seem to care too much about doing the Lord's will. Even though he was a man that was set apart for the Lord, he made a pretty foolish decision. Now, whether he knew God's word or not, which he probably did, uh, he clearly was not going to follow it. And even when someone tried to speak up and intervene and say, this is probably not a good idea. Maybe you should find another woman to marry. He wasn't really willing to listen to their advice. And perhaps we are guilty of the same thing. Sometimes we are so quick to uh, go headfirst into our foolishness, even when there are people in our life that try to speak better uh, to us and try to lead us in the right direction, we may not be quick to listen to them. Not only did he make himself unclean, But he also didn't really care too much about making his parents unclean by getting the honey out of the line. It doesn't appear, at least in my reading, that Samson is a terribly godly guy. He doesn't appear to really be concerned with doing too much of the Lord's work. it, It seems as though he's more concerned about himself and getting what he wants and doing things his way and not terribly concerned about other people, whether it be his own family or especially the Philistines. And we have to make sure that we don't fall into that same trap. We can uh, become a little selfish. We can become a little self-centered. We can get to the point where we too are worried about ourselves. And maybe even still, God may be with us in the process, but that doesn't mean that he is happy with the way we are acting. Now, that brings up an interesting point to consider when we look at the story of Samson, something we've talked about when we covered Jephthah. And that is, sometimes it appears as though God uses people that are not terribly good people. Now, in the case of Jephthah, that's kind of up in the air. You can decide for yourself if you think he was a good guy or a bad guy or good thing, did a good thing or an evil thing. But it seems that Samson was a pretty bad guy and he did some pretty evil things. And yet and still, as, as bad as he appears, God still used him and the Spirit of the Lord still came on him. Now, maybe... Maybe Samson was the best that Israel had to offer at this time. After all, we've done gone through years and years of years of Israel being disobedient to the Lord. Maybe this was the best that he could find. Maybe it tells us something about the situation in Israel. Maybe there weren't too many other people there. Maybe that's why he chose him. Maybe he chose him for his strength because, after all, Samson was set apart. We know how the story goes. Spoiler alert. Uh, His hair, at least he believes it's his hair that gives him his strength. And when that hair is cut, uh, he loses his strength. And so the Lord is not with him in that time because of his disobedience. It finally uh, catches up to him. And so as we read this story of Samson, we see that he really makes some some questionable decisions in his obedience to the Lord. Uh, Maybe the Lord used him because he was the best available. Maybe the Lord used him because he knew his strength. And the Lord can use us even though we might always uh, be the person we should be. 
Now, that shouldn't be an excuse for us to say, well, if God can use evil people, I'm going to be as evil as I want to be, and if God wants to use me, he can, and if not, not. Well, that's not really a good heart and a good mindset to have. That's the opposite of what Paul tells us we need to do. We don't need to take God's grace and say, well, I'm going to live an evil, sinful life, and God can do what he wants to do. That's not a real good way to do it. Even though God was with Samson here, I don't believe in any way that the Scripture is saying that God is condoning this type of behavior. God used what he had to use because he had to deliver his people. Uh, I don't think that this verse is in any way saying, well, God just wants you to be as evil as you want to be, and then the Spirit of the Lord is going to come on you after all. This is a rare occurrence. This is not the kind of thing that we see often in Scripture. This is, this is one story, and there are a few other stories, maybe similar, where God uses kind of rough people to do his will, uh, but this is, this is not the norm. This is the exception, and so uh, we need to be careful when we look at this. And we need to look at Samson's response because uh, Samson's response, whenever all this took place, uh, boy, he was, he was ready to go and fight these Philistines. Now, in this story, that's what was supposed to happen. That's the way that the Lord had planned it out. That's the way that the Lord wanted it to be. Uh, but in our situations, it's probably not that. God's probably not calling us to go and fight and kill thousands of people from another country. He's calling us to love our enemies and to love our neighbors. So uh, we don't want to uh, use Samson's story as justification and say, well, the Spirit of the Lord came on him and he went back and he stuck it to his enemies. That's not at all what God's Word uh, desires of us to do. And we see that clearly, I think, through the New Testament and the teachings of Jesus. And that is we are to love our enemies. But in the case of Israel, in the context of the story, these are the events that God unfolded to deliver his people. The Philistines were an evil people. They were not a good people. It's not that innocent people uh, were going to be killed here by the Lord, by Samson. These were evil people. Now, so were the Israelites. They were pretty evil too in what they did, but they were God's chosen people. And in the same way that in the, in the story of Hosea, he still loved his people when they are disobedient, well, God does that here in Judges. He'd been doing it for a long time, all the way from here, all the way till the time of Hosea. So God was a patient God, not wishing that any of them would perish, but that they'd all repent and turn back to him. And that's the same God that we serve today. God desires to deliver us. We don't want to fall into the same mistakes as the Israelites did. But even if we do, praise the Lord that we have a deliverer, one that's far better than Samson, and that is Jesus Christ. And all the ways that Samson might have been a bad guy, and all the ways he might have failed, Jesus did not. He was the perfect judge. He is the perfect king. And all of these judges that we see, well, they're all pointing us to Jesus Christ. Well, all their imperfections as being a judge, even though they were able to deliver their people, it was only for a little while. But Jesus as judge is able to deliver us for, for eternity. And when he comes back and judges, that's going to be the last judgment that there is going to be. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you tonight and we thank you for these words and help us to kind of wrap our heads around them. It's a lot to consider. So help us as we learn about Samson and uh, as we see what he's going to be going through the next couple of weeks, dear Lord, that we would see how you use him and that we would kind of make heads or tails out of it, dear Lord. Most importantly, we would see how you deliver your people through him. And so I pray that you just bless the words that we spoke and read tonight. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.